0: Welcome to the Holistic Work Podcast. I'm Flip Brown, your host and founder of Business Culture Consultants. The mission of this podcast is to bring together individuals who want work to work well, who strive for a balanced and resilient lifestyle, and who have a commitment to social, economic, climate, and racial justice. Feel free to check out the whole series, along with other resources, at businesscultureconsultants.com. Thanks for finding your way here. In this episode, The Secret Life of Meetings. Let's set up a meeting where there's a busy agenda, lots of things to talk about. It starts where Akira is giving a report on the data she's found, the research and analysis that she has compiled. And as she is sharing that information, Charlie jumps in and says, Akira, this is really cool, but, you know, have we thought about doing this about that? Well, Akira's kind of taken back, but, you know, then Abdullah says, yeah, no, I think that's a good idea, but, you know, if we looked at it from this perspective, then we might have some different options here. And so Akira goes back to sharing her data, and then... All of a sudden, um, Shamika says, you know, um, I'm confused here. Are, Are we supposed to be making a decision on this, or is this just something that you want us to know about? I mean, she says it in a pleasant way, but pretty soon it devolves into whoever feels like speaking up and interrupting and general chaos and... People start looking at the clock, and there's no idea how long this conversation is going to go, is the meeting going to run over, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How many times have you and I been in this situation? More than I would care to count, actually. Here's a quote from one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Edgar Schein. He wrote Organizational Culture and Leadership, a book that is now in its fifth edition. And I actually named my business Business Culture Consultants because of the work of Dr. Schein. But here's one of my favorite quotes of his. I believe how things are done between people and in groups is as or more important than what is done. The how or the process usually communicates more clearly what we really mean than does the content of what we say. We are less skilled in thinking about processes, in observing them in action, and in designing processes that will accomplish what we intend. In fact, We often design or participate in processes that actually undermine what we want to accomplish. And this is one thing that just delightfully keeps me in business, because I'm a self-proclaimed process junkie. I am fascinated by these processes of how people get together, collaborate, share information, develop options, make and implement decisions, and share the warmth of human presence together because as i frequently say if it was that easy i'd be out of a job so meetings and now that we have transitioned at least for this time meetings to being almost all online meetings are a strange beast because they do seem to have a life of their own it takes a set of best practices it takes courage permission, awareness, appropriate risk, emotional intelligence, effective tools to have consistently effective yet innovative meetings. So I'm going to share some information that I've collected over time about this. Now, if you have regular meetings, ongoing meetings, then I seldom see teams that say, okay, if we're starting this series of regular meetings, or if we have one and we want to stop and take stock of its effectiveness and and how we might improve it, there's some interesting questions to ask yourself. What is the actual purpose of this meeting? Who owns the meeting? If all of us own it, then we would want to be clear about the various roles that happen or, or need to happen during the course of a meeting. What is the size of the group? How often do we meet? Can you drop in or is there uh, an expectation of attendance? What are the norms around our meetings? Can you bring food? Is it okay to check your Facebook while you're in the middle of the meeting? I actually knew of one group that they would place their phones and laptops in a padded tray, big padded tray, at the entrance to their conference room for certain meetings they could have pens, pencils, and paper, no electronics, and it was amazing the different level of focus. What are the desired outcomes of your meeting, whether it's singular or regular, and how will you evaluate how well the meeting is working for the participants? So the little scenario that I outlined at the beginning, what happens is we start conversation or we start to share when we're in one particular category. and those categories those categories include giving and getting information. Now a lot of times that information could be better transmitted through documents, um, email, you know having a slack channel or a Google Drive, something like that because to just read information during the course of a meeting, in my opinion, is not a good use of time. But if the information is coming from experience, it's coming from interactions, situations, examples, then I think it's great. A second category is to identify problems, develop options, and propose solutions. So this is where we want to be creative, we want to be inclusive, we hopefully want to have some positive, innovative energy. The next category is to solicit and share people's thoughts, feelings, opinions, and concerns. Otherwise, it doesn't feel inclusive. I saw a quote one time from a manager who said, teamwork is a group of people doing exactly what I say. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's the opposite of teamwork. Then another category that comes into play in various ways is making decisions. Are we going to make a decision? How are we going to make a decision? Do we have clear ways to implement whatever decisions we make? And how do we balance inclusiveness, which is a previous point, and decisiveness? And then there's also just the magic of hanging out together. And certainly, as we're going through this COVID pandemic, there's a real sense of loss for many of us, although some people do particularly like this distancing. I'm not one of them. Because to me, warm human presence, even with someone that I don't necessarily feel close to or in agreement to, there's just no substitute for that in my opinion. What typically happens during a meeting is that we do what I call category jumping. And in that first example, where Akira was sharing information, but before she was finished, people, just out of good intent, they jumped in, and they were now in the category of developing options and proposing solutions. Now, maybe Akira was finished with her information sharing, but if she wasn't, and she doesn't set a boundary and say, hey folks, I know you wanna dive into this topic, but I just need to finish here, and then I'll open up the floor, I'll be happy to listen to your thoughts and feelings. You may not have the full set of information, you may be interpreting it differently, and then when people are proposing solutions and developing options, does that relate to an identified problem? There's some quote from Einstein that says if the world was going to end and he had an hour, he would spend 59 minutes um, identifying the problem and one minute implementing the solution. Obviously, it wouldn't be that easy, but hey, yeah, he was a genius on some level. This idea that we have conscious awareness of what category we're in and we can either catch ourselves or we can benevolently redirect others to say, Well, there are a lot of possible options here. We can list those. We can sort of catalog those to capture the brainstorming. However, we will not be making, I don't believe that we should be making decisions about these options at this time because that then opens the door to decision-making. And now we enter a large room, (laughs) metaphorically, in terms of how do groups actually make decisions. And here's another model from Edgar Schein. He says one way that we make decisions is actually to not respond. So Betty says something, and then Samantha says something. Uh, We didn't act on Betty's comment or suggestion. It just didn't get any attention. But we essentially decided not to respond. I've heard that called a plop. So then another category that we're all familiar with is decision by formal authority. Someone is designated to say uh, this is a decision that I feel I need to make or uh, it's part of my responsibility. So I'll solicit input, but it is a result of the formal authority. There are also times when people say, hey, I'll do this or, you know, Two or three people say, we'll plan the holiday party. No one objects. So um, a self-authorization or minority method to make a decision. We sometimes think that because we hopefully hold democratic ideals that voting is a good way to make a decision. The problem in business is that depending on how critical the decision is, If the vote is such that the people who voted no are resentful, are disinclined to help implement the outcome of the vote, then you can have negative energy, resentment, residue. And then finally, there's an important distinction between unanimous consent, which is obviously where everyone agrees, and consensus. My experience of consensus, although it took quite some time Uh, training to get to this point, is that consensus means that we've all had our voices heard. And on that basis, there are things that it seems like the group is headed in that direction in, in terms of a decision. And if I'm not totally in favor of that, or I'm even strongly opposed, but we've all spoken, we've all been heard, then I need to accept that I'm in this case in the minority and I need to not stand in the way or obstruct or, or sabotage the outcome of the decision. So a useful tool in these situations where you're trying to reach consensus, because quite frankly, sometimes groups in meetings talk and talk and talk in hopes that consensus will emerge. And if it doesn't, or if it won't, then you typically have to either table the issue, the table the decision, or you need to default to a formal authority. However, this tool called gradations of agreement can be a helpful way to get a sense of where people are at. And you can either do it on a five-point continuum or a nine-point continuum. But on one end, someone says, you know what? I agree without any reservations at all. I am totally behind this. Five gold stars, let's do this thing. And on the other end of the continuum is someone saying, you know what, no no bad intent here, and I, I know we're all trying to get a good outcome, but I disagree with this to the point where I just can't support it. And if I had a veto, I would issue that veto. I just don't want this to go forward. I feel very strongly about that. Now, in the middle, going back to the other end, someone might say, I agree, I have some concerns, but if I can express those concerns and you can hear those so that we can be mindful about them, yeah, I'll support this. Then the next point in the scale is, you know, I agree, but I I really would like to have some of these things taken care of. I'd like for us to reach a compromise or an accommodation on them. Um, so that I can support this. In the middle, you have neutral, ambivalent, or undecided. And those are actually three very different and important categories. Neutral just means I don't have any thoughts or feelings one way or another. I'm totally cool with whatever happens. Ambivalent to me is, well, I really just, I could kind of go either way, but I'm stuck in the middle. And undecided is, I don't think I can decide this now, or I need more information to decide it. Sometimes we can accommodate that position. Um, Sometimes the situation is urgent and important, and and we can't. So then continuing on that scale, someone can say, I disagree, but as long as you've heard my disagreements, I'm okay. Okay and I disagree, I'd really like for a couple of these points to be addressed or for us to reach a compromise. So to get a sense of where everyone is at on that scale reduces the polarization of yes or no, right or wrong. Just a a helpful tool. So the concept of decision ownership in meetings is one that often escapes us because we just don't have the tool, we haven't practiced it. But you know there's a huge difference between saying I believe it's my responsibility to make this decision or you know if I'm the CFO it's clearly my decision on this budget item and I need to make this decision but before I do I want to solicit your input. And unfortunately in some business cultures people take that and they, I'll say, decipher it or misconstrue it the wrong way, such that their interpretation is I need to make this decision. And if you feel strongly about it, then I have to take your thoughts and feelings into account to the point that that becomes the most important singular data point. Then it's my decision to make. I go to someone on the team and say, Hey, Jeff you know, I need to make a decision. I'd like to get your input, the choices between A and B. And Jeff says, thanks, man. I really appreciate you coming to me about this. I I, I feel very strongly about A. You know, B would be a total disaster. So I go back and I have to weigh all the other factors. I have to take into consideration other people's input, the budget, the timeline, the goals and objectives, the impact on other stakeholders. And it, it then becomes clear that the decision needs to be B. So I go back to Jeff and I say, Jeff, I heard you, man. I know you, how you felt about A, but the, the final decision is B. And particularly if Jeff is challenged in what I call the professional maturity department, he might say, Flip, man, what, what happened, man? I, you asked me what I thought I told you, and you completely disregarded my opinion. Well, actually, no, I didn't completely disregard it. I just had to weigh all the factors. So there's a number of other areas in decision ownership About whether it's not my decision, whether it should be made by a group, whether it should be deferred. It's important to go through that exercise of trying to figure out who owns this and uh, where and how will the decision actually be made. So now we come to another interesting part of the typical or stereotypical dysfunctional meeting, and that is yes, great, we made this decision, we have consensus. Cool. Wow. That was a lot of work. Good work team. Whatever. You come back to the next meeting and it's like, yeah, well, did this happen? Well, no. I mean, I thought you were going to do it. Well, I know nobody told me to do it. The point here is that once you make a decision, you have to have a precise methodology to turn that into an action item. And to me, that includes what is the thing that you're actually talking about. What's what's the actual decision? And do you have the same assumptions around that? And the classic is, can you get this done by Friday? But you have very different assumptions and expectations about what done is, Friday comes, and now you're talking across uh, the two sides of the Grand Canyon. Who is the primary driver for implementing this decision? What's the next specific thing that you have to do to move this forward? Are other participants or resources needed to make this happen? Is there a specific timeline for completion or are you just gonna report back? Is it gonna go on what I call the someday maybe list? Uh, You'll get around to it at some point. Um, And then what is closure? I think it's helpful to even have a specific form to capture those things so that everybody leaves the meeting and they're very clear about not only what was decided, but what specific steps are going to be taken to implement that decision. One more big black hole or swamp in meeting management is the classic agenda. It's a best practice, supposedly, to have someone craft an agenda in advance, and that requires the list of topics and then an allocation of how much time you're going to spend on each item. So we're going to talk about upgrading the customer service software. We're going to talk about that for 10 minutes because, you know, we've talked about it at all our previous meetings. And this is just kind of the final discussion to inform people before the implementation. So that's the first 10 minutes. Now, I will back up and say the average meeting starts around seven minutes late. If you go to my online scheduling calendar, you'll notice that I only book 55-minute appointments because if you book back-to-back 60-minute meetings and appointments, you are setting yourself up for (laughs) trouble because we need those five minutes minimum, some would say 10, to have a bio break, to look to see if that urgent email has come in, to grab some water and to actually find our way or turn on the Zoom and to show up. I really try hard to be one to two minutes early to every meeting. First of all, I think it's a sign of respect, and secondly, it's just more efficient. And when people are chronically challenged around that, I have no problem having that conversation with them about what they can do in their previous appointment or meeting to say, well, I see that we only have 10 minutes remaining, what else do we need to cover? Or, in our last two minutes here, I'd like to wrap this up. Whatever it takes to send a signal that you're just not gonna go on and on. Which reminds me of a bad joke, the 12-step group for compulsive talkers, and on and on and on. Anyway, back to our regular program. When you have this 10-minute customer service software upgrade item on the agenda, and now it's been 12 minutes, 15 minutes, 17 minutes, 19 minutes, and you're still talking about the same thing, what happens? Well, you either need to push the other agenda items that you deemed previously to be important, you know, farther downstream, which means some of those won't get talked about during this meeting, or you make a conscious decision to allow the meeting to go past the designated end time, Or you don't make that conscious decision. And then some people have to leave at the top of the hour. Some don't. You get this ragged, incomplete, uncomfortable ending to a meeting. Or someone can say at 11 or 12 minutes for the 10 minute agenda item. You know, I just want to bring our awareness to the fact that there's a lot more juice to this topic than I think we might have imagined when we set the agenda. And I'm wondering if we want to take you know, until 20 after to go deeper in this discussion, whether we have a couple people that can take it offline and then bring it back, or if we want to quickly summarize where we're at and move on to the next item. That's what I call calling the process. It takes courage, takes the ability to not come from that emotionally reactive place of frustration or anger. The idea is that it is in service to the group. So in meetings, the typical areas of confusion is that there's no what I call process steward. There's no one skilled enough to facilitate appropriately. That's often a role that I play. What I mentioned this wandering from one area of content focus to another. Another area that's frequent is the tendency to propose solutions before the problem has been clearly defined, and lastly in this category, an inability to handle strong emotions, and I'm talking either yours or someone else's. In my world, the criteria for effective meetings includes things like the outcome meets or exceeds the expectations of those involved. The processes employed in the meeting serve to maintain or enhance the ability of members to work together. There are improved results that are built from a sequence of successful meetings, and participants should feel like they are working from a strong sense of shared purpose with clearly defined outcomes that will increase their satisfaction and fulfillment. So I'll close with a semi-famous quote from the humorist Dave Barry. He says, If you had to identify in one word the reason why the human race has not achieved and never will achieve its full potential that word would be meetings. I hope that's not true for you. Thanks for listening. This concludes another episode of the Holistic Work podcast series. If you're interested in this and other archived podcasts, they are available wherever you get your podcasts or at businesscultureconsultants.com. You're also welcome to email me at flip.brown at icloud.com. This has been a production of Business Culture Consultants at Star Farm Studios in Burlington, Vermont. And thanks for tuning in. I'm Flip Brown, and may your awesome potential continue to unfold at work, in your life, and through your positive contributions to the world. Until the next time we cast another pod, be safe and strong.